0: I'm in a series on the church, the ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to say that, the called out ones by the Lord Jesus Christ to impact this world. And we've studied through the book of Ephesians what the church is supposed to look like spiritually, but we're in a study right now of the practicality of what Paul says when you gather together. And so we're in 1 Corinthians. When you gather in the last couple Sundays we looked and he said when you gather sing so we're to have a hymn we're to have a spiritual song a psalm in our hearts and we're to worship God and that's what we've done then he last week we studied when you come together have a teaching and so we study the word the word of God is central to our lives it's the rule and order of our lives that we live by the next is let there be prophecies tongues interpretations and the like I'm choosing to hold off on that one till the next time I speak, because this morning was communion, and one of the hallmarks of gathering together are the sacraments, and I want to talk about that for us. The sacraments, we call them sacraments because they're sacred elements that bring the grace of God to us. Basically, God said, through these vehicles, I'll meet you. Sometimes, how many of you know you need something to touch, you need something to feel, you need something real to connect with? And so that's what these sacraments do for us. Now, the high churches, such as Roman Catholic, Orthodox churches, they have seven sacraments. Protestants have not Uh, taken on all seven of these sacraments what are the seven sacraments of let's say roman catholicism one is baptism second's confirmation communion reconciliation marriage holy orders anointing lutherans like i say high church orders liturgical churches tend to have these seven sacrifices well we believe in anointing with oil See, the idea of a sacrament is an impartation of grace. God is gonna impart grace through these elements that we use for our needs. Well, we believe in anointing with oil, uh, but we also believe healing comes simply by praying in faith, by the laying on of hands. So we don't see that as necessarily a sacrament that imparts grace because God will heal through prayer, through laying on of hands, or any method. holy orders as a sacrament we see that people are called into the office of uh, being an evangelist pastor prophet apostle uh, and teacher the five-fold ministry is available within every believers we believe in the priesthood of believers so we don't see that as a sacrament for a select few in the protestant church as we understand scripture it's the priesthood of all believers you all have that dna of jesus Marriage as a sacrament, yes, marriage is a beautiful sacrament, a gift for us to understand God, but the Bible doesn't command everyone to be married, and, and so we don't see that as a sacrament because many of you are not married, and therefore you would be lacking that grace impartation, and we don't see it that way. Uh, God is here for everybody, married or, or singled reconciliation. Well, we know that that is just the normal way of life for believers. We're to be reconciled. God says, leave your gift at the altar before you even take communion or offer worship to God. So reconciliation is a normal part of our life. It doesn't need to be a special sacrament. Communion, yes, we see that as a sacrament. Confirmation, that's a throwback to Judaism and the concept of Uh, At 12-year-old, you go through a bar mitzvah and you become obedient to the law and so forth. In many of the churches that have seven sacraments there, they say the confirmation is at age 12 when you come into the church and accept Jesus Christ. There's really nothing in Scripture that indicates that age of confirmation. You could be five, you could be six, you could be 40 when you come to Jesus. Whatever it is, it comes. So uh, our view of the sacraments where there's an impartation of the Lord meeting us basically boils down to these two. And that's what we see in Scripture, these two sacraments given in the church. When you gather together, we're to be baptizing believers and we are to share in communion. And through these two vehicles, we see the grace of God minister, and that's what I want to share with you. At the Council of Trent, they developed this statement, and I think it's beautiful, a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. Baptism is an outward expression of what has already taken place within the believer, As soon as we accept Jesus Christ and put faith in the cross of what he did for us, we are baptized by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, into the body of Christ. That happens immediately, whether there's water or not. As soon as you accept Christ as Savior, you're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Then, in obedience, you are to be water baptized to demonstrate to everybody what had already taken place in your life. And baptism is that confession and conviction of what you've said. Confession and conviction of what you've said. And we'll get into that. Let's take a look at it. In fact, is it important to be baptized? Absolutely. In fact, it is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you would say the very first command given to the church is this. Therefore, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth and below the earth. Therefore, what? Go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. What did he just command them? Go make disciples and what? Yeah. Baptism. So it's a command of God. Baptism is an absolute command of Jesus Christ in obedience to the Great Commission that when people get saved, they're becoming disciples of the Lord, they must be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We should be baptizing people until He returns. And when we baptize people, those who are being baptized are being obedient to the command of Jesus. If you're not baptized, if you refuse to be baptized for whatever reason, maybe you don't like water, we'll work with you, you're in rebellion with the Holy Spirit and God in your life. And so there's a contradiction there that needs to be resolved, amen, for the blessings of God to flow. And so, listen to this. Is it essential to be baptized to be saved? Well, it's not essential for salvation, but it is part of the saving process. What do I mean by that? Look at Mark sixteen sixteen: Whoever believes and is baptized, what? Will be saved. Okay, there we go. One, two, punch. Boom, boom. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned he doesn't say whoever does not believe and does not get baptized the qualifying point here for salvation is belief we're saved by faith not by works so the work of baptism doesn't save you there is nothing in the water or in the sacrament that saves your soul it's your faith in jesus christ But baptism is the command for this activity of salvation. In fact, if it was so important for salvation, I would think Paul would have baptized everyone. But Paul said this when he was talking to the Corinthian church, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius. Paul's at the church, he's preaching salvation, but he's not baptizing anybody. Did they get baptized? Yeah, other people baptized them, but he didn't baptize them. If he felt it was essential for salvation, I'm sure he would have been baptizing a lot more people. But they got baptized in the regular order, in obedience to the Lord. The point is this, baptism is essential because it is a command of the Lord, but it is not what saves you, it proves you. It proves that you are saved. Let me go a little further with this. Number one, it is public confirmation. It's a witness of what you have testified. You had said, I am saved. Now prove it. Obey your Lord. And what would be the first act of obedience in your salvation? Baptized. Why? it's essential to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light. It is the act by which you are professing on earth and to the spirit realm, I'm no longer part of darkness, I am now in the light. Now here in America, we grew up with Christianity, everybody got to church, everybody got baptized maybe as a baby or later, whatever, and we're all so used to it. Around the world, baptism is absolutely crucial. For someone in Pakistan to leave the Muslim faith, accept the Lord Jesus Christ, their family will do everything to keep them from confessing Jesus. As long as they keep confessing, fine, whatever, we're going to win them back. But once they get baptized, it's over. They know it. I've seen it in many cultures and many lands. When people get baptized, they are no longer part of the world. They're part of the kingdom of God. It is the entrance of moving out of darkness into the kingdom of light. You must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. Part of your confession by mouth is baptism. Okay? Okay? And so it is the entrance of your salvation manifesting in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you understand that. And so you are marking your calendar. I'll tell you this, uh, in some churches they have water, they call holy water by the front entrance of of the sanctuary. I think that's a great idea because when you enter in, they tap that water, they put it on their forehead. What do you think it reminds them of? Baptism. I was baptized. It's good for you to remember the date and time you were baptized. Why? Because when the enemy comes against you and say, ah, you're not saved, ah, you're not good enough, ah, you're none of this, you can say, no, 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 I surrendered my life and I died with Jesus Christ on this day. And you marked it with an act of faith through baptism. And so that is essential. It is essential for you to be baptized as a command to the Lord. And so you enter, it separates you out of darkness. In fact, how many of you think it's okay just to live together? What does the Bible say about marriage? You should have a wedding, right? You should form the covenant seal. That's exactly what baptism is. Some of you are just living with Jesus, He wants you married to Him, He wants to see the ring. Show Him the ring. That's what baptism is. Are you getting it? Do you get the point now? You see? And so it's one thing to say, yeah, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. Where's the ring? Commit. Give your life. Because when you're getting baptized, you are dying to self. That's what the portrayal is. That was supposed to already have happened. But how many of you know once you get saved, you don't know half of what the Bible says. (laughs) You're growing into your salvation. You're growing into your knowledge of Christ. But baptism is getting married to Christ Jesus. It says, death to the old. I'm being buried. Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. That's a good thing. That means the old man in Adam was put to death. And what ceremony illustrates that? And what puts you into the grave with Jesus Christ? Baptism. The word baptizo is a Greek word transliterated into English as baptism, baptizo, and it literally means to immerse, to have two elements become one. And that's what happens. The concept of baptism is one element going into the other element where they become one. One of my favorite illustrations is Oreo cookies and milk. I happen to be very fond of that illustration. You take an Oreo cookie, that's one element. You take milk, that's another element. Ah, but they've not joined together in a beautiful form of oneness yet. You bring them in, and if you're any good at this, you know exactly how long, by the touch, by the feel, to where that cookie's fully saturated to the glory of God. And then you pull it out. And the two have become one. And this is what baptism is. You're always going to remember it now. <laughs> you see, it's not just some kind of church ditty. It's not just some kind of thing, well, you turn a certain age, you do this, or if we have to do that, or it's not some kind of an incantation of magic. It's a heart melding together through the death and burial of Jesus Christ, and when you come out of that water, you are a new creation. Despite how you feel, despite your ups and downs and your struggles, you've been sealed into Christ Jesus by your faith. It's a covenant, and Paul, uh, Peter recognizes this, and he appeals to uh, circumcision. I'm sorry, Paul does. The same way circumcision was the covenant sign for all who are children of Abraham, he refers to baptism in that same way. And he calls it a circumcision of the heart. We're not circumcised as men uh, physically anymore to be part of the Hebrew tradition, but we are circumcised of the heart. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. The praise is not from man, but from God. And so entering into covenant with Christ Jesus is through baptism. Will you enter in? Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.21, that we're washed through these waters. Baptism corresponds to this. He's talking about Noah's flood, how God flooded the world. And he says, baptism is like God flooding the world. It saves you, the word there should be it delivers you, not as a removal from dirt, from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, a clean conscience through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you enter into that water, and you're to be taught before you get baptized to understand what it means. As you're buried with Christ, when you come out, you're washed from your old nature and your old sins. Does somebody want a cancellation of their past? Not held against you, not counted against you, not anything. And that's what the washing does. We need to encourage people to be baptized and fully embrace what this sacrament does for us. It's the entrance into the covenant. Let me help you understand this as well. Titus says he saved us not because of works done by righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit of God. Last of all he says this you're clothed so in Christ Jesus you're all children of God through faith for all of you were baptized into Christ having clothed yourself with Christ. By faith, you're baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ. Baptism illustrates that for everybody, publicly declares it. You're letting everyone know that your faith is now true. You've left your old nature. You've left your old faith. You've left your old belief systems, buried in Christ. You're separated from Adam. You're now made alive in Jesus, and you're wearing him. You're suited in Christ Jesus. It's powerful it's essential i've seen it over and over again it causes separation from the world and it marks you as a christian and a believer this is important see in the united states we can believe in our head and act in a different way completely you know 80 percent of america says they're christian they're not they're not obeying the lord jesus christ you know, you can get baptized and not be saved. Did you know that? Mark 16, 16, right? Those who are, believe and are baptized will be saved, but those who do not believe. So you can go ahead through the water, you can get baptized. Get baptized five, six times. But if you're not trusting Jesus as your Savior, it has no power in your life. It has to be activated by the faith that goes into that water. And so there's nothing in the water, but it is the act that does something. And I, how, then, should we be baptized, right? Should we be sprinkled or dunked if we're going to make this stuff work? Well, early in the 90s, 96 A.D. was the uh, doctrine of the 12 apostles called the Didache. We studied that word last week. It means teachings, the teachings of the 12. And this is what the early church said. We've got church splits. We've got churches splitting over the issue of how to dunk or baptize or or sprinkle or whatever. But this is what the early church said. Baptize into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where did we get that? The Great Commission. Okay. In living water, do you know what living water is? It's a river, flowing water. Why living water? Because that's the best illustration that shows you it's fresh and clean all the time. So the best thing is, is we should be all down by the riverside getting baptized in the river. I guess that's it, we're done. None of your baptisms counted. Oh, but wait, it goes on or baptize into other water. In other words, if you don't have a river, get some water in a pool. But if you don't have living water, baptize into other water. And if you can't baptize in cold water, well, then baptize in warm water. But if you've not either of that, then pour water three times upon the head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, how hung up are they on the mode of baptism? See, it's an illustration. So, for a good illustration, do what would look best for the illustration living water the Holy Spirit's washing the sins away washing you clean and so oh you don't have a river okay that's okay that's okay then baptize in a pool because immersing buries you with Jesus as you go under the water oh you don't have a pool to go under the water okay fine but it should be cold and refreshing because you're no cold water okay uh then make it warm you know what I don't care If you can, then whatever water you got, just take some and sprinkle it on them three times. Now, as a pastor, I've seen the need for this because not everybody has the abundance of water. I've been in places in Africa where we just don't have the water. I've been to people who are in the hospital who are dying and have come to faith and they want to be baptized in Jesus' name, but they can't get out of the the hospital to get into a pool of water. And if they got into a pool of water, they'd probably die. And So I visited people in the hospital and took their styrofoam cup of water, took the lid off and baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because it is the intent of the heart and by faith, the sprinkling of the water, that act of baptism that they are publicly confessing Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. They're putting the ring on it, if you will. Now probably the most moving, I've told this a million times, I can't remember, I asked my wife, did I talk about this before? So many different places I've spoken on this, I don't remember, but it was the most moving experience I've ever had concerning baptism. It was in China in the underground church. And uh, because we're on Facebook, I have to block out people's faces. But back in 2004, I was in the underground church in China. We were up uh, deep into uh, China, and the people wanted to be baptized. But the way they baptize in China in the situation is many times when Christians are put in prisons and put in jails because of their faith. And while they're put in the jail, guess what they do? They preach Jesus. And most of the people in prison with them get saved, (laughs) And they understand, according to Scripture, if you're saved, you have to be baptized. Now, how do we get baptized? We're in here, and we're being persecuted for our faith. How do we outwardly demonstrate baptism? And uh, that might cost us our lives. And you know what? To them, it's worth it. And so they have to decide, how do we baptize? And so what they do is they get a big sheet of plastic, and they pour water out on the floor, on the plastic And when the guards are not looking, they all gather around and they begin to roll up the plastic and come together and stand as the body of Christ around this pool of water that they've made, and they baptize in it. I had the opportunity to baptize 20 people. We were locked in a room. We couldn't get out. We couldn't publicly have baptism. We had no tanks to, to dunk anybody in. But these young believers, instead of being sprinkled, they wanted to be dunked. So we got plastic and we baptized. I baptized over 20 believers. And what was amazing, amen. The visual of this was amazing because what held the water together was the body of Christ. And when we were done, the water's done. And so baptism is absolutely essential to our faith. It doesn't save us. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise because of his confession. He couldn't get off that cross to get wet. But it is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's within the first command. It's something we're all to do. It is the wedding of uniting your faith with Christ to demonstrate to everybody, to the devil and everyone else, you're a believer. I would encourage you to be baptized. Now, the second we have as far as a uh, sacrament is communion. The Lord's table, we call it. And what's really interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is uh, what Paul says to the Corinthians about their communion feast. I don't know the last time you read this, but basically he's saying... You guys make me sick. Stay home. Now, he goes on and he, he says this. But in the following instructions, I do commend you. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Because when you're together, it's not, it's not for the better, but for the worse. How about that? Could you imagine a gathering of Christians and Paul says, you know what, It's sure is better if you just don't get together. You're worse when you get together. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there's divisions among you. And I believe in part, there must be factions in order for the genuine to be recognized. But when you come together, isn't it for the Lord's supper to eat? For in eating, each one of you goes to his own meal. One goes hungry and another one gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? I commend you this. No, I will not. I receive from the Lord. And he goes on and explains it. So what's happening is the church, when we come together, we're to remember the communion supper, the covenant of Christ Jesus. Why? Because in it is healing, in it is deliverance, in it is unity. But when the Corinthian church gets together, they don't even consider each other. The rich versus the poor. People come together and they bring picnic baskets and their food and they're chowing down, they're eating, they're drinking, they're getting drunk, while other people have nothing. So what kind of communion is that? What kind of a representation of the kingdom of God is that? He said it's terrible. And so he says this when you come together, it's for the Lord. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What does he mean by that? Many people have speculated well, if you take communion, and you're unworthy of it. In other words, there's some sin in your life. That's not what that's saying. The issue isn't the person, the person's worthiness. The issue is how they're taking the Lord's Supper. None of us are worthy of it. That's the whole point of the Lord's Supper. We're all sinners saved by grace, and God's grace covers our sin. So taking it unworthily... Of course, if you're in an active, present state of sin, you're in bad shape. You need help. But come to communion and repent. But what he's talking about in an unworthy manner is a manner that is unsuitable to the purpose for which it was designed. An unworthy manner is if you're taking communion, the bread and the wine that God has provided, but you're not providing for each other, you're taking it unworthily. You're taking it to remember that God has forgiven you of your sins. But if you're sinning against a brother, you're taking this meal unworthily. Does that make sense to you? So if I have odd against my brother or sister, if I, have, if I have unforgiveness, if I'm so ticked off at the guy across the aisle, but I take communion in holy reverence to God, it's useless. It's unworthy. What good is it to take a piece of bread and a, an orange... A, orange juice grape juice what good is it to take that when you're manifesting hatred it makes no sense at all see the problem with sacraments is we think it imparts a special grace to us so if i'll take it then i'll have enough to forgive them god says don't even take it till you forgive them it's a confirmation of what's happening in the church We're taking this bread because our bodies are broken and Christ died for us for healing. You take one, you take one, you take one. I'll care for you if you're sick. It's taking that wine and being forgiven of our sins and saying, I'm not going to add to that sin issue. Please forgive me if I offended you. And so that's what it means to take this meal unworthily. If we're going to celebrate the grace of God, it sure will be manifest in you. Amen? Amen? We got, you know, the number one complaint about Christians is we're hypocrites. We're more than that, we're worse than that. But we've got a solution and a remedy to it. And that's why we take communion to celebrate that remedy. But if it's not getting remedied, yeah, then we are hypocrites. So let's deal with it. What does it mean to take it unworthily? It means to be selfish and not concerned, discerning the Lord's body, he says. In other words, are you aware that you're not alone, that you need each other, and that we care for each other, and that when you come to church, it's not just about you? How about you put you on the shelf for a minute to serve somebody else? That is giving your body and blood for Jesus Christ. I'll never forget John G. Lake when he was in Africa and ministering in Africa with his evangelists. They had run out of money. And he had to go to Africa to tell them, we have no more money. That if you need to leave and you want to go home, you might want to do that, but we have no money. And they said, uh, Pastor Lake, would you please leave the room? We need to pray. And as they prayed, and he came back. They said, Brother, you know that when we came over here, we shipped all of our contents in our coffins. They didn't bring suitcases. They they had coffins, and they put all their stuff in coffins and sent it to Africa. In other words, they were staying there until they died. They were giving their lives. And so they took communion with Brother Lake, and they said, when they picked up the bread, they said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. You see, when we take on that understanding of Christ's body and blood shed for us, we're to imitate Him and say, now this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. See, when you got baptized, you entered into this body. And now you're maintaining the body through communion. And you're giving your life for Christ Jesus. Are you seriously understanding Christianity? You're dead in Christ. You belong to Him. It's your body that's broken now. It's your blood you're giving to the gospel and to His glory. It's a holy act. It's sacred. But we, we, we so treat these things as little blips, little memos, little post-it notes. Oh, communion today. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Jesus. We've got to be immersed in this. And then how could there, if we are literally taking communion saying this is my body, this is my blood, this is a sacred honor, you did it for me, the grace you gave to me, I must give to others. How could there be disunity in the church? How can there be gossip and slander and backbiting? How can we have offense one with another? Paul said, just stay home. Because you're not fulfilling this meal. And again, people think, well, if I get some of that juice and I get some of that bread, I've had Jesus and I'm good. I. it's so much more than that. He says this, let a person examine himself. Then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Two ways to look at that, Without discerning the Lord's body, you're not going to get healed. He said, by where stri- my stripes you're healed. If you're not discerning that the Lord's body, that Jesus died on the cross for your sickness and disease, you're not going to pray for your healing. Do you know that most churches in the United States don't believe in healing anymore? So most of them, I know we still get sick and we still die. We're all going to die. I get it. But communion avails us to remember that by your stripes we're healed and we discern your body was given so that we could pray for healing. That's one way to look at it. The second is this. The Lord's body is the people of Christ. So examine yourself in your relationship to the rest of the body. Some of you come here, you don't even know anybody else. That's not healthy. Get to know each other. Discern the Lord's body. He, in fact, ends by saying this, then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. What does that mean? Wait upon each other. Care for each other. So, these are the sacraments. There are two of them that we profess as Protestants. Baptism, where we are married to Christ. Communion, where we now are married to each other. And that's what fits the body in health. These sacraments that we regularly practice. When you gather, remember me. Remember his body and blood. Remember the body and the unity of Christ. Let's bow our heads.